My name is Ed Akira, and I'm the producer of the short film documentary, A Film Called Blacks Can't Swim. The aim of the film is to understand why a disproportionate amount of black people and ethnic minorities can't and don't swim. On my journey to find the truth, I have the pleasure of speaking with a very influential person. He is Google's head of broadcast and entertainment for UK and Ireland and made it to the Financial Times' top 100 most influential leaders in UK tech. Dustin Gupta, welcome to In the Deep End with Ed Akira. Hi, Ed. Good to be here. <laughs> good. It's good to have you here. So, can you swim? I can swim. I'm not a particularly good swimmer. But as a child, um, my mother tried to uh, get me in the pool, and um, I was always... Uh, very sensitive to the chlorine in the pool. So when I was very young, I would always stay in illness to try and avoid being in the pool. Um, so as a result, as I got a bit older, my father was given the task of uh, making sure that I could learn to swim, and he took me to the lessons. And um, I guess I was around about 10 or 11 when I finally uh, had the test to do my 100 metres. And I was a very slow swimmer, I'm not a very efficient swimmer, and it took me so long to do my 100 metres that the rest of the lesson had ended, they were closing the pool, they were turning the lights off, never quite made it, I think I dropped out 3 metres before the end at 97 metres, um, the instructor gave me the certificate anyway, I think he felt sorry for me, I think he also wanted to see the back of me to be honest, and I remember we didn't discuss it, I got out of the pool, my dad and myself went home, we put the certificate on the kitchen table to show my mum, and we never spoke of it again, and that was really the last serious swimming I did. I still swim a little bit on holidays, but uh, only a few metres here and there. So, but if you were in a situation whereby your life depended on it, you'd be able to do something? I think I could swim a short distance if my life depended on it, maybe 100 metres. 97, I guess, is my, uh, my lifetime record. Um, but I'm not a very confident swimmer. I've never really liked being in the water. And I think it comes down to the fact that um, I've always had very sensitive eyes in the pool. These days, I think the chlorine that we had in the 80s is, is not as bad um, uh, um, in the pools uh, in modern times. But still, I, I think I've uh, learned that swimming is not for me. And, uh, you know, it's hard to change that perception. My kids swim, and my kids swim well. My wife swims for miles. If you were on that boat that capsized in um, Tanzania, Lake Victoria, last year, um, the ferry, where 200, I think up to about 200 people drowned, you would have survived because oh, it was 50 metres away from the port and, pe and 200 people still drowned. So that goes to show that if you can't swim, you would have been 10 metres away and you still wouldn't have been able to make it. So the message I'm trying to put out there is that it's good to swim for recreational purposes. It's good to swim for health reasons. But the number one reason is that it's, it's a lifesaver. It's a life-saving skill. It's taken me up to now to realise that. You can see that um, I spent most of my life hiding behind the stereotypes, the stigmas, the myths. So good on you. At least you can swim. Be a better swimmer. I've, I've considered taking like a, a week off work for an intensive swimming course. Do you see a difference in attitude in swimming between your 
ethnic friends and your white friends? I think it's some and some. Um, so I come, I grew up in, in Norfolk, and my, my father is Indian and my, my mother is German. Um, so actually, in, in when I was growing up as a kid, there weren't that many uh, ethnic minorities around. I had this kind of sensitive skin and sensitive eyes, and I always had that, and I think it came from my dad. He has hay fever, like, like me. In my case, it was my sensitive eyes. Then it just makes people that little less likely to take to take that step. As you could tell by the film, I, 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 I spoke to a lot of my black and ethnic minority friends and many of them, majority, I'd probably say about 70 to 80% of them don't swim. And the main reason that's give, that they gave was that because it was, it was never a priority when they were growing up. So I'm just trying to you know, get the message out there and try and get as many people as possible to swim. What's your view on the low level of participation of BAME in aquatic sports? And what can be done to encourage, or shall I say, inspire more inclusion and support and awareness or awareness of diverse opportunities um, aquatics offer? I think it's a great point. And I'm utterly convinced there is no, there's no genuine barrier to, to BAME people being excellent swimmers. I know that we have had, um, you know, black Olympic swimmers uh, doing very well. Fewer, fewer than the kind of average representations uh, of, of fame in the various communities. But there's, there's no physical barrier, and I think you, you have the evidence there as well. I think swimming has to be um, fun. It's not just about the barriers which provide the stick to stop people getting in the pool in the first place. I think there needs to be something to entice people that swimming is is an exciting thing to do, it's a fun thing to be able to do if you get on a holiday, it's, it's a great way to exercise and um, so forth. And I think those kinds of activities will make swimming more fun and more accessible for everybody because ultimately that's what's going to drive people into the pool. You've got the barriers that drive people away from the, the pool and there's obviously tactics to, to apply to that, but you actually have to drive people into the pool as well. And Having, having role models that are successful is, is certainly one way. But I think if it becomes culturally something that people aspire to do, that everyone is doing, um, because in many areas, you know, uh, as, a, as an English person in, in, in our society, there's very few areas that are that segregated between black and white. This is just one of those areas where it seems to be there's still a, there's still a gap, certainly in a kind of social interaction or social adoption. Very true. Very well said. We've got a job to do, but I think we're getting closer. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, over the last few years, there's been a lot of um, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are happening that's uh, increasing, shall I say, the awareness. And hopefully, probably probably might not be in our generation, but in our children's generation, there will definitely be a huge difference. People will be looking back and listening to what we are talking about right now and saying, "What the." What the hell are they talking about? <laughs> and that's what that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, you know, make a change because I, I seriously think that this is the beginning of the end of the issue with a disproportionate amount of blacks and ethnic minorities swimming. And I think it starts with the parents of the next generation, which is us. Definitely. So if we're encouraging our kids to swim, even if we don't swim ourselves, then the problem goes away to that to some extent. My kids are all great swimmers. Good. 
my daughter as well. She's nine years old and she's pretty good. From, from a cultural diversity point of view, it's clear that black and ethnic minorities are less likely to swim and more likely to drown. Is there any amount of responsibility that should be taken by the media? It's tough because we are uh, an island in the UK and it's still the case that for many people, the only opportunity that they'll, they'll get to swim is if they, they go on holiday. Like on a day-to-day basis, we, you know, swimming is not required. And obviously, if you're in a, in a, a life-saving situation where you do find yourself in the water, it's incredibly beneficial if you can swim. Um, but for many people, I just don't think it's a priority. And, uh, you know, I think this is where the parents come in. And if your parents are prioritizing other things, then it will just be a, a skills gap. So it's, it's one of those things that you have to, like you said, it has to be seen as a priority. I wonder how much of a, a barrier different swimming practices within different schools uh, is. So, for example, my kids' school, they do swimming for one term of the year, for so one third of the year. Each of my kids go swimming for one hour a week. So what's that like? Yes, you know, 20 hours of swimming or something. It's, it's significant. Yeah, yeah. But I understand not all schools do that. I don't think it's necessarily part of the national curriculum. And that's another way that you can try and drive drive a change is by, you know, making sure that you level the playing field so that everybody gets the same base level. We, it won't change the, the aspirational piece. It won't make it fun. <laughs> but it might save a few people's lives. We're currently um, partnering with Swim England to drive it within schools. It actually is in the curriculum. And it's in the curriculum that every child should be able to swim by the, by the time they leave in year six. And basically, the criteria is they have to be able to swim 25 meters. They have to be able to perform two um, strokes, with front crawl, breast strokes, whatever, but two strokes. And they have to be able to get, should be able to perform a life-saving skill. But the statistics says that only 75% of children achieve this. But wait for this, Justin. When it goes down to the deprived areas, it goes down from 75% to 42%. So only 42% of children in the deprived areas are able to achieve any of these before they leave school. And look, that's, that's where you can have the biggest impact here, is helping to make swimming accessible and fun for those people is where it's not aspirational, where their, their parents aren't driving it, where where the, the kind of the limited support that the, the government are giving isn't, isn't enough. And I think it's, it's just a case of making sure that it becomes aspirational in that area, and then you, you can get that number up. Definitely. And we're working on it. So watch this space. There's going to be a lot of things happening in, in 2020. Racism in sports. I did a little research on Google and I, um, I went to Wikipedia and to check out on racism in sports. And this is what it says. 
Racism in sports it has been a prevalent issue throughout the world. And in particular, racism towards African-Americans has been especially bad over the course of history of sports in the United States and around the world. It's prevalent wherever you go. I mean, you just have to listen to the news, and especially with football and swimming, there's been a lot of um, events and issues with um, racism. What's your thoughts on What's your thoughts on that? What's your take on that? Do you, do you think this is... Um, a reflection of the society we're living in today? Well, these are, these are big questions there. So, look, I think if you go to its, its deepest level, the, the problem is is bias. Whether it's, whether it's racism or whether it's unconscious bias, the problem is bias. Either people make the assumptions about the capabilities of others based on some attribute that race, gender, sexuality, or whatever. Um, and then, furthermore, people making their own determinations that they, they have a limitation due to their own background, which is, I think, uh, a theme that, that you've covered a lot in, in your film. Um, you know, so there's, there's two ways, there's two, there's two problems to solve, and it comes down to education at both sides. So. On the, on the one side, if, if you have a group of people that are underestimating the capability of another group, then you have to provide the examples. You have to show, look, here is a, a great black footballer, or here is a, a great female um, horse rider, or whatever it is. Um, and then, to be authentic, you need to show the science, to show that there is no such thing as being big bones means you can't swim, or, or, or whatever it is. So you need to educate people. And I think as people learn that we are ultimately one human race, you know, there's a few differences, skin color and uh, a few uh, physical differences between men and women. But we, in general, we, we all have the, the same things that make us uh, able to do sports, which are one, a body, and two, a brain. Um, and that's, that's what makes, makes us human. Um, so that, that kind of addresses the education people. and. You know, will people be openly or uh, or people? You will increase the chances that they will come to understand and value each other. Um, educating individuals that they have no barriers that's a that's a more challenging problem in some ways. I think role models are important. Um, you know, definitely for me, um, growing up seeing you know different different colours of people being successful in sports. So Daley Thompson was, was the one I remember as a child. Like he was the best decathlete ever for ten years, won every competition. He was uh, you know, a, a British black guy. I found that very inspirational. Um, but you know, if you sometimes you can't be what you can't see and if you don't see anyone around you doing activity X, whether that's swimming or football or, or whatever, then you, you put up a barrier to yourself. Um, and often the thing that inspires you to consider something is seeing somebody like you doing something. And it's why I think it's so important for parents to role model and, you know, parents to show, um, you know, what's, what's important, what's accessible, what's, what's possible. Um, so a, a, a long answer, and I, 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 don't seem, I don't claim to have a, a, a silver bullet for racism, but I think education is the solution on both sides. Justin, we've got we've got we've got the work, we've got the job to do. Any progress is progress. And I think we're moving in the right direction. So 
tell us more about um, this, this Financial Times top 100 influential in UK tech. Uh, thanks, Ed. Uh, so I, I've been doing um, a lot of work over the past few years on um, diversity and inclusion initiatives, um, both within Google and, and within the, uh, the wider broadcast industry, which is uh, the business vertical I work in. And um, we started off a few years ago, we were looking to improve the, the gender balance within our, our tech team. And what we discovered is we were losing, um, so we, we were not managing to continue the gender balance of, um, of technical graduates leaving university into hiring at Google. So at some point, the balance of, of talent was even less balanced when we um, when we actually hired people into Google than leaving university. So we knew there was a gap, and we, we looked into what we could do to improve the balance. And the goal here was not not to be the United Colours of Benetton and get 50 percent of, of every gender. The goal here was to make sure we were better representing our user community. Half of our users are women. And we want to make sure that we have uh, a balance within our tech team to ensure that we are building for all, for all people, men, women, and obviously other groups as well. And if you're hiring in the UK, um, the best approach to take to trying to improve your balance in any aspect is you make sure you have a more diverse hiring pipeline. So uh, when you open a new role, we would actively go out and solicit more female candidates and then we would end up with a kind of a balanced group of people to interview, say five women, five men. Then you interview people and you have to follow the law here and you pick the best candidate. The best candidate may be a man, the best candidate may be a woman. And we managed to increase the percentage of our female hires. I don't have the exact number, but it was of the order of, um, you know, uh, 10 to 15% up to 20 25%, something of that order. Uh, so I think we were able to have a real impact there. And later in my career, I started um, doing a lot of uh, public speaking at events, and I noticed that the representation of the speakers was very, how should we say this, uh, hail, male, and sale. Um, so we wanted to bring a bit more balance to, to these events and make sure that we had you know, a more balanced set of speakers from from all aspects, again, uh, gender, race, and so forth. So we started following the same approach. So when we were planning events, rather than realizing at the end of the event we had a panel of four men and trying to add a woman, we would actively, at the beginning, come up with a balanced pipeline of people. You know, let's say if we were doing a panel of four people, we'd have, you know, three men and three women. We'd go and ask them all, see who was available. And if you start off with a balanced pipeline, you end up with a more balanced result. Um, and then furthermore, we realized that it wasn't just about the people speaking on the panels, it was about the attendees to the events. And we realized that by holding events um, either breakfast or in the evening, anyone who was a parent who had any childcare responsibilities couldn't come, and this disproportionately affected women. So we started moving events into late afternoon so that people could do them at the end of their workday. And we had an increase uh, in one event from 25% female to 33% female just as a result. Wow. But actually, when I spoke to people after the event, 
both men and women were saying, okay, Justin, great, great event. Sorry, I can't stay for the drink. I have to go and pick up my kids. So actually, these little, making this little change meant we didn't exclude parents, which of course disproportionately was excluding women. It's all about inclusion, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, again, we, we, we want to make sure that we're, we're fair here. This isn't, this isn't about positive affirmative action. Um, we want to make sure it's a meritocracy, but really we want to remove barriers where they exist and encourage people through through a bit of role modelling to 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 get a um, you know to have a, a better result. And these panels we've put together with more diverse speakers have been better panels. Well, thank you very much for joining us in the deep end. And. Um, like I said, together, we, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to make a lot of changes. Uh, things are moving in the right direction. So we just have to keep up at it and um, encourage as many people to do what's best for them, to, to swim, whether it's swimming, whether it's um, working in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the industry they want to work in. And, you know, it's just bettering yourself. So thank you very much and uh, keep in touch.